Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They called me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul, the Blackjack King, Deccant. Uh, most importantly, you are you. You are here. That makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. We are officially back from Vegas. Fellow conspiracy realist, what a ride. As we were on the road, like most folks from Atlanta, we stayed glued to the news about an ongoing controversy, quite possibly a conspiracy afoot in our fair metropolis. If Atlanta's powerful have their way, our town will become home to something called the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. Street name, Cop City. Now, we've talked about this a little bit on the show, right? We've definitely talked off air. Oh, for sure. I think we've covered it in Strange News um, several times. Uh, it's kind of been an ongoing thing, um, but we haven't done a full episode yet. And now is definitely the time because we have a lot of information at this point. Yeah, uh, there there are a lot of there's a lot of stuff being said about this. Right. And it's tough to know what's real, what's not real, what's propaganda from either side. So you're just like, OK, I think I have an understanding of what's going on and why, but. Honestly, I was confused going in. Yeah, agreed. And full disclosure, uh, all three of us might not be necessarily on the same page in different aspects of this. Uh, again, being from this city, we do have uh, on the ground experience. We have opinions 
uh, we have a horse in the race, quite literally, right? So here are the facts. When you hear Cop City, that's an attention-grabbing phrase. When you, You'll never hear that from the supporters of this facility. You'll hear them instead describe it as the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. Uh, what does that mean? What do they say? What, what, what do they say about this concept? Well, it certainly sounds harmless enough. <laughs> Public safety to me just sounds like, yeah, we're good with that. Um, but this would essentially be a, a quite large compound dedicated to training police personnel um, for all kinds of situations. And they'll have, you know, the most, uh, I guess, cutting edge equipment for said training and lots of space to do it. Well, and it includes large areas for all kinds of things, a canine training center, uh, I believe stables and even training for mounted police. So horse police, helicopter uh, pads, burn towers. Yep. A big old firing range. <laughs> Brand new. Still got that new cartridge smell. I but imagine. with sound baffling and barriers. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. We audiophiles love that. Uh, also, uh, in full disclosure, they are aiming to train the Atlanta Fire Department. So uh, if you are familiar with some outfits in the Gulf Coast, in Louisiana and Mississippi, you may, this may sound familiar. Uh, the idea of setting up not quite atomic city fake towns wherein people can practice different tactics uh it's um in some ways it's similar to the school of the americas in fort benning you're not going to read that on the official website uh <laughs> yeah but like school of the americas had some 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 aims right they were it's like Ooh. hey let's do guerrilla warfare kind of thing uh you know but they're a Alumni were positioned for different careers. <laughs> you could also think about it like Quantico, you know, or like a, like a giant headquarters for training FBI agents, you know, mm -hmm. with like ropes courses mm -hmm. and shooting ranges. If you've seen the beginning of Silence of the Lambs, uh, similar stuff to that. And just to so where I live now, there is a fire department training facility that has what you're talking about, like a building or two that they use to actually go in and put out fires that they set to train uh, the, the fire department. And that is inarguably important. It's mission critical to be competent in that stuff. Again, when you're in a stressful situation, you need to rely on established experience, muscle memory, right? No one wants to be, <laughs> no one wants to be caught on the 15th floor of a burning building and then hear the call. Hey, we got this guy coming up. It's his first time though. So yeah, it's first be cool. Day. Yeah, it's his first day. Just On the job training. Nope, not in these types of situations. Um, and we're obviously going to get into the various sides that you mentioned, Ben, in terms of uh, their various propagandistic tactics uh, and aims. Um, but one of the uh, issues at play here is where the facility is located, which is in uh, 85 acres of uh, city-owned green space. And anyone that's been to Atlanta does tend to comment that who's maybe from like New York City or another metropolis. We've got a lot more green spaces than most of those other cities do. Um, and this is a massive one in a, a proper forest, you know, that has up to now, I believe, been, you know, used as almost like a park. 
Yeah, currently, right? This is uh, not for nothing is Atlanta known as the city in a forest. It has massive green space, massive uh, tree canopies. Uh, if you live here, you're very lucky to do so. We'll We'll talk a little bit about the ecological aspects here. If you look at a map, like if you've never visited this uh, city, you can look on whatever your big brother of choice is. And when you look there, you will see something called the South River Forest, which used to have many other names. Uh, As you said, Noel, the facility proposed is pretty big, 85 acres of city-owned land. Opponents say it's more than 300 acres in terms of impact. And the official website for this site, the official website for this site says, quote, the land also served as the site of the original Atlanta Police Academy, unfortunately not related to the astonishing film series, which is just a bummer for everybody. But, <laughs> uh, and then it was also an explosive ordnance disposal site. Then it was a landfill uh, and then they go on uh, with a a little bit of, uh, depending on where you fall, it's either it's either a sincere thing about preserving history or it's lip service. But what the official website does not mention is that this was also the location of the old Atlanta prison farm, which was a slave plantation, and then a forced labor camp which is another kind of slave plantation that ran under extremely sketchy circumstances from about 1920 to 1980s, 1990s. And quickly, just to jump in here, so you can get a picture of where this is if you're not able to look at a map right now. If you've experienced Atlanta and you're not from here, you've probably flown into Hartsfield-Jackson Airport. It's one of the busiest on the planet. Woo-hoo. That's what they say. And if you get into the city and you are actually going to Atlanta from the airport, you would travel north on one of our highways, probably 85 uh, and or 75. And those two large highways head north into Atlanta proper. If you were to go, I guess it's if you're to follow 285, which is the wraparound highway that goes around Atlanta Mm -hmm. and you followed that to the east it would take you towards the area that we're talking about here where the training center slash cop city is going to reside. So it is what like locals might call outside the perimeter, right? It's inside. It's just barely just on yeah. the cusp. Yeah. Kind of like it, it, it's actually down the street from Doll's Head Trail. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. <laughs> on a positive note, Doll's Head Trail is pretty cool. If you like stuff they don't want you to know, you'll enjoy Doll's Head Trail, mm-hmm. assuming you don't get shot. It's an industrial part of town too. Moreland Avenue, little five points. If anyone is familiar with that area, if you keep going down Moreland, I forget which direction I'm bad at geography. It does become much more of like a, you know, uh, freight depots and stuff like that. There used to be a crazy um, biker bar called mm-hmm. Southern Comfort out there that did karaoke. And there's also an old timey drive-in called the Starlight Drive-In. So any, you know, these now are some what, other uh, The city's very... The city's very fortunate to have that drive-in. Drive-in theaters are amazing, and they are an endangered, (laughs) they are an endangered species. 
currently the nomenclature you will hear describing this area that that you just mapped for us, Matt, is the South River Forest. Uh, the the issue is that look, we'll get to the powers that be in a second, but the issue is that there are people who live in this area. They are not. Uh, the wealthy neighborhoods of the Atlanta metro area. They are not the people who have good encounters with law enforcement. Okay. Uh, And this area has always been a forest way, way back in the day. Uh, The original human population, Muskogee Creek, um, they called it the Weyloni, which roughly translates to the land of brown water. Not Ooh. the most impressive name. <laughs> not, not great. Not the, I don't think it's a poop joke. I don't think I, so either. Uh, maybe it's just got lots of silt in it or something. Yeah. And the original inhabitants of this land who lived there for thousands of years were forced out during the Trail of Tears era. Fast forward, fast forward, Paul, if we could get a little VHS fast Perfect. Uh, The proposal for Cop City comes on the heels of the nationwide anti-law enforcement, anti-police protest in 2020. Uh, Over 50 cities in the United States uh, rose up in some form or another to protest the police murder of George Floyd. Well, and it's it's theoretically it's a good thing. Some of the the big calls during those protests were. We need better trained officers, right? Because these officers were literally killing people. So the thought was, at least from the establishment, the law enforcement side was, we need to train our officers better. And maybe this is a solution we offer to the public or something. You know, at least that's the way I'm choosing to view it. Maybe that's the way I see it now from this perspective. It does seem like it was there was some PR involved and they just seem to have slightly miscalculated. Yeah. In terms of what the response would be. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And and lest we be uh, remiss, let's point out that many other innocent people died, uh, each of which uh, triggered another wave of protest. It was not just George Floyd. These were innocent people executed by state power. And the operative definition of any real state is a monopoly on violence, right? It's legal when we do it. So in 2021, uh, then mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Lance Bottoms, teamed up with a a weird sort of, I don't want to call them Avengers, but a, a weird consortium that is technically a nonprofit called the Atlanta Police Foundation. And Mayor Bottoms hung out with a guy named Dave Wilkinson. Dave Wilkinson is the CEO of this nonprofit, the Atlanta Police Foundation. They did something really interesting. They skipped past the idea of whether a training center should be built at all. And instead, they immediately said, we can only build it here at the South River part of Atlanta. It is the only option for the site. And then locals living in the area, activists from outside the city, in full disclosure, some of our friends who have been on this show before, 
immediately began collective action. And collective action is the bedrock of the American experiment. We're talking protests, sit-ins, attendance at local hearings. Well, and it's interesting, too, because it, it was a reaction to the facility itself and the plan. But it seems like the early protests were largely about conservation and about the green space and mm-hmm. challenging the idea that this was the only site and they felt that it was a loss you know of habitat of again green space for people to hang out and camp or whatever it might be um, so that was a big part of some of the early protesters was you know more of a green kind of attitude yeah forest defenders the loose collective of people occupying now what is a street name cop city refer to themselves as force defenders. And there, there is sand to that. It reminds me, this idea of skipping the original question, like imagine you walked into a car dealership and they said, look, you can only buy a green car. And then you said, well, I don't necessarily want to buy a car or I don't want to buy this specific car. And they say, well, okay, we're agreed then. You have to buy a green car and they're just not hearing you, you know, and the response locally was pretty vehement, uh, including surprisingly uh, members of law enforcement themselves who were saying, why, why push this? If, if the city doesn't want it, why push it? Uh, you might th- make things more dangerous for us. You might make us the enemy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it makes you feel like maybe there's some other backroom stuff going on, even more than just the mayor, the former mayor and, you know, the head of this thing called the Atlanta Police Foundation. Um, (laughs) I mean, also the people living in the neighborhood, like, you know, people living off Key Road and Constitution and stuff, Mm -hmm. they're, they're asking a very valid question. Why does NIMBY apply to certain wealthy parts of the city? And not to us. Why yeah. can't we be the people who say not in my backyard? Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. Well, guys, I'm just looking around other parts of the city, kind of close to that area mm-hmm. at places that are not, they don't look like they're official like parkland. Uh, and it looks like you could probably put a training facility on those. It just, I, I wonder if it's a money problem, if it is a NIMBY problem, like no matter where you propose to put this thing, it would have gotten crazy backlash. Oh no! It seems like they would have had some sort of industrial site or something that like yeah. is in the city's portfolio of real estate, even if it was multiple facilities. You know, why does it have to be this massive police mall situation? It feels like they were going for prestige and kind of wow factor with the whole thing. And they Mm. just overlooked, I think, again, (laughs) what the PR backlash would be. But to your point, Matt, there also, I think, has to be some stuff behind the scenes um, that we're not seeing because, yeah, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. And despite the... uh Despite the local protest and despite the fact that there were people not from Atlanta or not from Georgia who traveled to participate in the ecological side of the protest, despite all that, overwhelmingly, the public was against it. And in 2021, the Atlanta City Council approved the whole thing. Basically, this was not a surprise because... uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> a specific nonprofit, quote unquote, Atlanta Police Foundation had their back and the APF has a lot of juice in the city. Or what do they call it in the wire? Suction. They have a lot of yeah. suction. Yeah. So we'll get to them in a moment. But uh, what you need to know, folks, in May of 2022, authorities began clearing up the site. Uh, for most of us, you know, if you've ever lived in a forest environment, clearing up means picking up trash, removing deadfall trees, maintaining trails for this project, clearing up. And this is from them themselves. Clearing up meant the removal of personal property and illegal squatters from the site, as well as the construction of just a big ass fence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They basically occupied it. (laughs) <laughs> you know, they did. Uh-huh. They had well, their see, Occupy movement. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Because if if people that the state decides are just random squatters are occupy, occupying that space, those people have no rights whatsoever. But if but it, OK, hold on. Does the city own that land officially? Yeah, the city does. Yeah. Then I guess. OK, but it was a. a classified as part of the park system was it not or i don't know exactly what the official designation is but it was my understanding that it was okay to like camp there or do maybe not maybe it was just kind of like a wild west situation but that was a part of the whole thing that i always kind of Mm -hmm. maybe didn't fully get yeah it's it's also uh it's also a matter of convenience you own the land you don't want to mess with the people who may be able to raise a ruckus in court, right? To legally respond to your actions. So you want to target the vulnerable. And then also there, it's not to make these folks sound necessarily malicious, right? We're not automatically saying they're bad faith actors. We are saying that they probably own this land and saw an economic opportunity. Look, We are folks, I think it's safe to say, we are folks who overwhelmingly love and support the place where we live. We also all acknowledge the deep problems it has with corruption. Most American cities past a certain size are riddled with corruption. It's just a function of the process. And our local infrastructure here is riddled with scandal up to and including active homicide. I was, when I was looking into this, you guys, I remember that time a sheriff assassinated the other guy who might have become sheriff. That's what? a true story. What is story. this, the Wild West? What are they, like, <laughs> like pace, you know, however many paces in the town square? No. That's, a, that's wild. That guy's re- related back to the Wayne Williams case as well. Yes, uh, he no, is. Oh, what's his name? His name is Derwin Brown. Uh, who that's the guy who Sydney Dorsey is Sydney the Dorsey's assassin. what I was thinking about. Yeah, okay. yeah, Derwin Brown is the victim, <laughs> and they're supposed to be the people maintaining law and order. Uh, look, in short, if you want to escalate this decades old continual militarization of state power and violence, it's kind of difficult to imagine a better training ground than Atlanta, you know. Uh, so So it's true uh, that this, like, if we were the people supporting this, obviously we would like it. It would make sense for us to be absolutely fair 
It is the right, the privilege, arguably the duty of all Americans to disagree, to debate, to, uh, as Charlie Day says, to jibber jabber, to get at it, go back and forth. Uh, Chop it up. Chop it up. Yeah. Uh, the, the end goal being a betterment for all involved in whatever that conversation may be. Yet it seems here we are witnessing the other inherent side of American culture right here in Atlanta. The powerful want something. The public does not. The police start shooting. Yeah, they do. All right, guys, let's take a quick break here. Word from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Here's where it gets crazy. On January 18, 2023, a Georgia State Patrol trooper fatally shot Manuel Esteban Paez Terran. Uh, Paez Terran is a Venezuelan-born environmental activist, and the actual details of their death remain a matter of debate, you could say, the official law enforcement version argues that this person shot an officer in the leg, resulting in a non-fatal injury, and were they themselves fatally shot in return. Uh, you may hear about this person as Tortuguita, uh, pardon my pronunciation here, little turtle, it means. And that was the version of the story that we heard, you know, here in local news. Um, but uh, the medical investigation results were released not long after, um, and and they ran shockingly counter to that narrative about what you know the person being shot in the leg, a weapon, etc. Um, the this individual was shot 
57 times, and the autopsy information showed initially, we'll get to that, uh, no gunpowder residue, which is obviously a thing. If you've watched cop shows, you can see if someone has fired a gun, you know, by doing a test. Um, and there was no visible gunpowder residue on their hands, and it was also clear they weren't wearing gloves, you know, to prevent that. Well, yeah, and let's also paint the picture here. Wasn't this person in a tree at the time? They were occupying, yeah, they were uh, one of those illegal squatters that counts as being cleared out. Uh, but so this person is in a tree and allegedly firing down at officers. That's what the officers were alleging, correct? Yeah, and continue to allege. Uh and then later you will see contesting autopsy reports. Uh, the GBI, which is like the state level version of the FBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, later went back and said, we have found traces of gunshot primer. And they acknowledged that this could have been from Baez Teran. Uh, it could have been from the police firearms or it could have been, you know, general contamination because they were not first to the plate on that investigation. So, so if they were in the tree at the time, what was the inciting event that led to this confrontation? Was it I mean, you, you hear about these forest defenders and you know, there's bits in TV series that kind of joke about it. I think there was something in Arrested Development uh, where one of these uh, characters was played by Ron Howard's brother. Um, and usually this type of conflict results like from a bulldozer or something literally ready to tear the tree down. And these folks occupy the tree because they know that they're not going to murder them in order to, you know, tear down a tree. So do you know the details of that aspect of it? Like what happened in that regard that led to this confrontation? Yeah, it seems like uh, they were, again, the law enforcement organizations were attempting to remove squatters or people who were living on city-owned land. And we know that... We know that this person did have a firearm, a nine millimeter, which they owned legally and acquired in 2020. Uh, but the story gets muddy because the official explanation sounds more and more like a narrative. At least critics are saying, you know, picture every picture, every uh, fiction cop show where someone says we've got to make this look right. We've got to make this story fit. You know, uh, like uh, True Detective, right? Uh, yeah, sure. Season one. The, the Shield, I've been watching about corrupt mm -hmm. cops in Los Angeles. And there's a lot of, we got to get our story straight kind of talk. And I think I totally get this confrontation. Um, it would be a matter of get down from that tree. No. <laughs> and then it goes from there. So they weren't just a random person out there in a tree in the forest. They were specifically there to protest, which means... This person wasn't going to leave willingly, right? And as you describe that conflict, the officers are like, oh, we got a job to do. We got to get this person out of the tree. It does seem as though, uh, I don't know how the person in the tree would feel threatened enough to fire down below unless that person was being fired upon first, right? In the scenario where a weapon is actually fired. Right. Why yeah. would you fire down? I, I mm. Yeah. And the idea is, is this friendly fire? 
that's another that's another concept here. Did uh did someone on the same team shoot this officer in the leg? And that triggered this egregious thing of shooting someone 57 times, shooting one person 57 times. Bonnie and Clyde got shot 57 times. That's absurd. And that's that's two people. Wild. I mean, that's unbelievable. Do we know how many officers were present? Like how many actual weapons were being fired? It it must have been multiple, right? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And... It looks like, uh, so the family did not accept the official explanation and they paid for an independent autopsy, which confirmed bullet exit wounds in both hands. Uh, And this, for anyone who has seen like stigmata or something like that, or, uh, you know, not to encourage too much martyrdom, but like Christ on a cross kind of thing like shots in the palms through the through the fingers you know probably in the wrist area what that means is that uh is there's a high implication that the person being shot was not holding something that's the problem actively surrendering i mean put your hands up here here they are you know, that's and again, I, I don't know this person. I never knew this person. But when this happened, there were people from the community that released a lot of photographs of this person with friends and a lot of people speaking out about their experience with Tehran. Um, and it was all very positive. This, this wasn't like a militant, you know, militia type organization you know i mean having that weapon would be a, um just for you're, you're squatting in like a, a area that's accessible by all kinds of potentially dangerous people it's probably smart to protect yourself just saying mm-hmm. yeah and and a lot of us listening this evening can agree with that no as we said earlier any any death even if you don't like the person any death is a tragedy and the death of Paez Tehran galvanized the movement to stop Cop City. Now there is a face, right, that can be associated with the movement. And there seems to be an active cover-up of this death all its own, or at the very least, there are a lot of unanswered questions. There is no official conclusion that jibes with the um, with the reckoning of people who knew this person or with this person's family. But this did not stop the push to build this thing. So many local people in Atlanta desperately did not want whether or not you support the construction of training centers like this. And we do understand training is important. We can all hopefully agree that protesters should not be shot if they pose no dangers to others. That's one of like the cool features of America on paper. You can just walk out into the commons. You can talk trash, right? People can eject you from a place, uh, but by and large, they can't kill you uh, by shooting you 57 times. Even the authorities remain divided on whether this person actually shot an officer. And the, the next question then, naturally becomes if the public does not want this thing to be built why is it being built that's where we go back 
to the Atlanta Police Foundation, as well as Terracon Consultants, T-E-R-R-A-C-O-N, the engineering firm that's helping make this happen. So maybe we learn a little bit about the APF. Again, a nonprofit, quote unquote. Yeah, I'm looking at their website right now. Um, Oh, tight. One of the big things they have coming up, actually, this is tomorrow as we're recording this on the 25th of September. They've got their crime is toast, which is a it's a, an event. It's a breakfast. <laughs> I've never I'm felt that yeah, toast yeah. was worthy of being called criminals. Toast is lovely. I don't understand. That's funny. It's interesting. It's- I'm just going to read it. it says along with more than a thousand business and community members in attendance, we honor the men and women of APD, the Atlanta Police Department, by recognizing awards for outstanding service. Uh, including Officer of the Year, Purple Heart, and Merit- Meritorious Service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deserving of award. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Crime is toast. And at this breakfast, they're going to get a state of public safety and state of the force address from the mayor and the chief of police together. Ah, yes. I see that. Yeah. And this organization is not new. Uh, they've been around for uh, right, right about two decades now. They were founded in 2003, and they describe themselves as employing, quote, a broad array of 21st century public safety initiatives to accomplish their mission. These initiatives include community programs designed to provide resources to underserved neighborhoods, as well as training to cultivate a mindset of true servanthood among the Atlanta Police Department sworn personnel. So they're saying greater good. We're looking out for you, especially if you are in an historically bad neighborhood. Mm. Well, you know, they run the Crime Stoppers in the greater Atlanta area we just mentioned in our strange news episode, which gives everybody the ability to send in an an anonymous tip about something, which does feel like maybe a good thing. And they do have stuff that uh, again, on the surface, when you read it on their website, it looks like positive initiatives to help out the city of Atlanta. But also like even crime stoppers is like made for a poster. I mean, the, the, the whole term, I mean, it's, 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 it's PR. Yes, mm-hmm. it is a good thing. Being able to give an anonymous tip and feel safe is a good thing. But when you brand it like that, mm-hmm. you know, and have it as this, like, look at what we did, look at the good job that we're doing. It's another way of deflecting some of the bad things that police have been accused, more than accused have been found to have done over many years. Oh yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying oh, no. to advocate for it. I guess I just want to make sure I'm being clear on that. It just it the programs do look positive. Let's say if you're a voter, right, and you go to their website and you're like, oh well, what are they doing? This looks good. The at promise initiative to help you know reduce crime in youth sure. seems like yeah. a great idea. Yeah, yeah, and the <laughs> the board of directors and the board of trustees, or the executive committee and the board of trustees are also very interesting aspects of the website. Uh, the APF describes itself as a public-private partnership, you know, like the Federal Reserve. Nothing to see here. Uh, they're aiming to create a safe and just city for every citizen of Atlanta, driving out crime enhancing the safety of neighborhoods but black monday murder style you gotta follow the money so riddle me this guys who runs the operation 
big wigs. <laughs> Walt Emmer of Waffle House. He's just on the executive board or whatever. Yeah, Ty Darlin from Georgia Pacific. Got some Equifax, some King and Spalding, all the hits, all the good ones. Uh, Invesco, which I thought was a cartoon name for a long time. Uh, I've seen that of, sign, I think in like Alpharetta or something. It's on a building somewhere. I think I've seen it too. It's like Globochem or, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. A lot of legal entities, uh, and they're all run by people who, surprise, surprise, don't live in the South River area and don't hang out there. You know what I mean? That's not where they get their groceries. Uh, it's also kind of a food desert. The board of trustees also has some gems, uh, a lot of big wheels in Atlanta, Home Depot, Delta, Sotheby's, JP Morgan, Georgia Power, UPS, a lot of real estate developers, yeah. a lot of the type of folks who build uh, industrial compounds or those live, laugh, love, mixed use developments. They love those here in Atlanta. I mean, it's kind of almost a joke. If you follow any local Atlanta meme pages, you'll you'll see the joke being made because it's kind of sad. Uh, the city is famous for bulldozing, not just forests, but also a lot of history and just building up condos and these types of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The old Atlanta crackers baseball field is a whole foods now. So go team. Uh, so there's also a, in case you're, you you think uh, we're being hyperbolic here, another member of the board of trustees is Andre Anderson from the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. So this is all publicly available information. Again, you can go on the website. You can read this to your heart's discontent. These companies, the legal entities in particular, they have ties to some of the most powerful corporate actors in the Atlanta metro area, and they don't want to look threatening They don't want to look cash grabby. They don't want to look like they're super duper down with fascism. And yet, and yet, it doesn't matter whether you are the biggest fan of these corporations or whether you hate them. The reality is simply that they are already by far the most financially and politically powerful consortiums in the local game. And look, you know, People, res- people respond to buzzwords, right? So you hear words like or phrases like collective action and you might think, oh, Marxism, socialism, untrue. Your favorite corporations, even the ones you really like, they love collective action so long as it works for them. They are not averse to teaming up. No. And they also make use of police forces all the time to do things like move money and protect property. And they employ, also, I I know it sounds like we're going back and forth. We're not dithering. We're being fair and objective. They employ hundreds of thousands of people in the metro area alone. They are, no fooling, the economic engine powering the existence of a city that would have been an historical footnote were it not for railroads and an airport. That's really close by to this. This property (laughs) (laughs) It is, Yeah, it's easy to fly there if you come from another police force and you need to train. So so that is the idea. I mean, it's it's so it would be so big that it wouldn't just be the southeast or or is it is it particularly to serve the southeast? 
that's how it starts. It, it reminds me, and that's a great question, though. It reminds me a little bit of years back when we were talking about Sesame Credit, when it was uh, an opt-in thing for the for the public uh, of for the public of China. This is a precedent. At least that's what the critics and opponents of this compound say. They argue that it is only going to accelerate the creation of similar compounds across the United States. I mean, all right. The question always is, qui bono? Who stands to gain? Who benefits from the construction of a controversial thing like this? Proponents will tell you the training facility is necessary for many reasons, improving police morale, improving competence, and uh, keeping training up to date, fighting crime, preventing mishaps, preventing danger to innocent people. Additionally, if you're hanging out and just chatting with supporters, they will say, look, recruitment is down for law enforcement and the fire department in Atlanta. That is true. They will say this will improve recruitment. This will reduce turnover. And in any industry, a better prepared organization equates to lower burnout rates. So there is some sand to that last part. But again, I I don't know about you guys. I keep sticking on this point where the supporters say there's no alternative location for the site because it has dangerous assumptions. First, they're assuming it must be built. Second, they're assuming it must be built in Atlanta, right? With a lot of private entities holding a a sheep's wool... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a sheep's wool mask over of of nonprofit over the fact that they are going to make a lot of money, uh, and then they say it has to be built as soon as possible. Yeah, the greater good. Well, you know. Okay, so let me just. I, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment. Mm. It. I was reading some blogs. I think they're just blogs from law enforcement officers who mm-hmm. are commenting on this and generally saying things that are very negative towards people who are protesting this building or this establishment or facility. And I just wanted to see like, why would, why would an individual officer be into this? And several of them that I read were about, it was, it was usually stories about their own training and how, when they were going to Academy and being hired as an officer, it was usually the same time. So they got hired and they were actually going out on patrols while they were also going to Academy and supposed to be getting their training. Right, and real I, shake and bake stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like good, good luck, and and literally going out at night in the first week, you know, on patrol, which to me is just egregious and insane. That and puts them in unsafe situations. Absolutely puts them in unsafe situations. But every single person they interact with then is in an unsafe situation, and it's not because that's a bad person. It's because they aren't properly trained for the work they're supposed to be doing. Um, which, so in my mind, I kind of got a shape of a picture of, oh, I can see why maybe an officer would want to go to 10 weeks of training or, you know, however, however long it would take to become an officer at a specialized place. Um, so I can see that as an actual positive, but then putting it in this specific place, making it this large, um, it just, it, I, like you were saying, it doesn't match up to me teaching military tactics as well there is a reason those are supposed to be separate skill sets 
No, and that's the part we haven't really gotten into that we will soon. But um, the other side of the protest outside of just the, you know, the forest uh, demolition is that a facility of this size is can potentially be dangerous because of the idea of militarization of the police, that concept that you were just talking about. Yeah. Well, yeah. And on that, you will hear rumors. So like you'll hear rumors that there are going to be Black Hawk heli- helicopters at this place. There are going to be tanks rolling around this sucker. There's going to be like full on military, right? Which is often an exaggeration of what's actually going to be there. But it, and it won't be a Black Hawk necessarily, but there will be helicopters involved for sure. And of it course. won't be a tank, but there might be an APC or two. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I might sound like a jerk here, but kind of fun, right? To play around <laughs> on one of those, like kind of fun, you know, like there's a place up in LJ, Georgia, a bit north of Atlanta, where you can drive a tank recreationally, you could run over cars and stuff Jeez. like that. And it's very, um, it might sound like uh, like we're being rednecks when we say that's kind of fun, but that's kind of fun. We're still trying to get a budget approved for us to do that. Were we going like to do it. that? Yeah. We were going to do that at some point. We're gonna yeah. that. We're gonna, yeah, gonna, yeah. We're going to film it. We're going to, yeah, I think we were going to shoot video. Paul was probably We were going to take it. turns uh, with the hero shots, they're called, of us driving the tank. Yeah. But, um, but aside from that, what, what you hear, please don't, Please don't confuse that with us being glib or dismissive. We're attempting to practice empathy and objectivity. And we, with that in mind, we also have to look at the financial motivations. That is the most provable conspiracy afoot in this situation. And again, is ideologically agnostic. I think it was June 6th, 2023, this year, as we record the Atlantic City, I keep saying Atlantic, not Atlantic City, (laughs) but the Atlanta City Council approved $31 million of construction funds for this training center, street name Cop City. And they also provided uh, this caveat. And they said, we as the city of Atlanta, which means that if you live, visit or shop here, you're helping pay this. The city's going to pay $1.2 million per year for the right to use this thing that your tax dollars are paying for. But wait, as a hellish Billy Mays was wont to say, that's not the bulk of the funding. Most of the money, $90 million, is coming from private donations to our buddies at Atlanta's favorite nonprofit, the Atlanta Police Foundation. That's kind of posh, right, for nonprofit. But, like, do private donations mean, like, anonymous donor? We don't get to know where the money comes from? We look at the board members and the trustees, and come on. That's got to be where the money's coming from, right? All those corporations we mentioned? Well, but that's but I guess the point is this is like a smart way to disguise some more specifics, right? I'm just saying Paul cleaned up at Blackjack. Oh no. <laughs> so, so yeah, you're right. It's a good com- it's it's a important question, right? It's mission critical. This is a nonprofit ostensibly, yet it is founded by a, a complex shell game of thoroughly private for-profit entities and philanthropy is an umbrella that a lot of people can stand under and each of these industries each of these for-profit entities they stand to make a killing 
financially and arguably literally from sweetheart infrastructure deals. Somebody's got to build this stuff. Some got some some company has to Halliburton over an overpriced lunch program, right? Someone's got to provide different funding vehicles. Someone's got to have the maintenance. Where are you going to have the janitors, right? Who is who is going to be support work for this? I mean, I mean, you could argue that that side of it is positive as well because it does make jobs. It's New Deal type stuff, construction project. We were just at the Hoover Dam. I mean, the, again, the video was quite propagandistic, but it employed thousands of people, you know, at a time when the Great Depression had really ravaged a lot of folks and, and their ability to earn a living to, to you know, support their families. Um, but that's a PR spin as well. You know, I think that's the least important part. And the, the most important part, Ben, is like the actual businesses that will be benefiting, whether it be construction, whether it be, like you said, the food hall, whatever it is, the machine. I mean, I'm sure these shooting ranges don't come cheap and they're proprietary made by technology, you know, weapons technology type companies and all of these facilities that will be the cutting edge. Yeah. And that's a great point. Noel. Also, let's be honest. These folks are the rulers of the city. The folks who are found are funding the Atlanta police foundation also make a lot of money if things don't burn down, uh, they may be very well-intentioned. Likely, they are. They don't see themselves as villains. Uh, they may want to prevent things like the 2006 uh, police murder of a 92-year-old woman in her home. That incident in particular changed the way that APD, Atlanta Police Department, operates. And if you are friends with folks in law enforcement, you know, Everyone heard about that, and everyone knew that things had gone terribly, fatally wrong. So there is the argument that this will increase the safety of both the police force, the fire department, and civilians. And the Atlanta Police Foundation's puppet masters, they may mean that as well, but they also want to make a profit every step of the way. Kind of like how Vegas wants you to have fun. Yeah. It really sucks because I I totally do see the need for it and the possible good things of a facility like that. But you're absolutely right. This thing, the way it's coming together, and especially when you think about what actions have been taken when it comes to, hey, we'd love to get your opinion public about what's going on. Uh, why don't you tell us? We'll we'll incorporate your thoughts and, uh, you know, we'll really think about what you have to say and then what actually happened. Oh, man, there's so much more to come, y'all. Uh, we're going to get into an example of how that opportunity was presented. And the powers that be said, nope, we don't want to hear that. And we're going to do everything we can to <laughs> ice you out, the public, you know, mm. we hear you. We're listening. Uh, that's that's the vibe from folks like Kelsey Hull, a spokesperson for the APF. Uh, Hull objects to claims that these organizations are not listening to the people of Atlanta and uh, points out, and this is true, that APF provided a draft plan of the training center to Atlanta city officials, to different committees on the Atlanta city council 
I'm sure no one shook hands in the back room or got any money, of course. And uh, there's a specific quote we wanted to share here. Hull said, quote, more than 400 comments, some 20 plus hours of comments were received by the council, which then voted overwhelmingly to approve building the public safety training center. 70% of the comments were absolutely opposed to the new facility. And guys, full disclosure, we, the the four of us know people who went not just to that hearing, but mm-hmm. to other hearings, created one of the longest running hearings in the history of the city. Everyone was saying, beat me here, Paul. Everyone speaking at that hearing was saying, F- this. And the Atlanta City Council said, tight we hear you we're doing it approved but i mean they did hear them they (laughs) they they gave them audience you know what i mean (laughs) they streamed this or or at least portions of it um i I think it was live but i certainly saw some friends of ours uh do their Mm -hmm. you know uh, give, give their testimony or whatever you want to call it and yeah it was Wild people were camping out in the lobby of of the building, and like you know, free pizzas were being brought in. I've never seen anything like it. And you get in trouble for the pizza, you know. That's I just what what result would have led to them changing course? I I would argue none. So it's all just lip service, and it's also a giant waste of people's time. You know, Um, it's insulting. Really, Uh, you know what would have changed their minds? A uh, a random billionaire from Atlanta shows up and says, hey, I've got 85 acres of land you can have for free. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of on uh, our city. Atlanta needs more billionaires. They're just great. Uh, so- <laughs> Think about the amazing thing you could have done here, billionaire from Atlanta. <laughs> just no, no, seriously. Think about it, dude. We know you listen to this show. Uh, so we're, we're giving the supporter claims. You can tell that we being locals, we have a bit of a horse in the race because we have lived here for some time. Let's go to the claims of the detractors. Noel, you made an excellent point about some of the original aspects of the protest. Not for nothing are people calling themselves, ourselves, forced defenders there is a huge potential ecological consequence for the construction of this thing. That's right. The South River Forest is one of uh, what's referred to as the city's four lungs, which is part of an ecosystem. You know, it serves as a very important part of our climate infrastructure uh, that keeps surface temperatures cooler, um, cleans the air, you know, through the trees. (laughs) We know that's a thing. We also did hear that climate change might prevent like like stop uh, trees from processing oxygen or something like that. Bad stuff on the horizon. But when you cut them down, they're definitely going to stop. Um, so that's a big part of it. Not to mention regulating temperatures uh, and preventing flooding. Yeah. Prevents flooding, keeps things from overheating, cleans up the air. Those Sounds are good. 
Yeah, those are things everyone likes, <laughs> every human at least. And there's a great investigation by Brookings, the Brookings Institution. Might not be everybody's cup of tea, but nevertheless, they do have some excellent research on this ecological impact that you're referring to, Noel. They use data from Atlanta, Chicago, and New York. And what they found was time and time again, disadvantaged neighborhoods are disproportionately exposed to climate impacts and to higher rates of policing relative to other neighborhoods. We talked about this uh, in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, talked about it in Africville, you know, as well up north. It's happening. So, you know, to that point, you don't have to get into the bow tie world of policy wonks. You don't have to be one of those <laughs> one of those nerds to understand the reality on the ground. History is cyclical. Just like the way back in the Trail of Tears days, this greater good rationalization is arguably an iteration of manifest destiny, which means that whatever the intention may be, it will result in damage to a majority black community of innocent people who are inevitably getting punished for the crime of existing in an inconvenient place. And that's gross, man. Let, let's uh, let's take another break, guys. We need to take a break. We'll hear a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. And let's keep going down some of this track because I, I, th I think there's more to uncover. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Guys, before we get, get in the next part, how does 
this Black Hall Studios slash Shadowbox Studios work into this whole thing? Because it's a, it, I think they owned some of the land or something, and then they ended up selling the land or doing some kind of handshake deal for some of the land. And this is a huge movie production studio thing, which mm-hmm. is the whole like another wave of money coming into the city, which is another reason why this is probably, I don't know how it's tied in, but I know I that hadn't heard a bit of this. This is interesting. I just had no idea that this new film production, television production in Atlanta touched this subject at all. No, I definitely didn't. <laughs> this is the yeah. first time hearing about this angle. It it gets into uh, the black. Uh, I love that you said black box, of course, but it gets into uh, the true black box of private equity funding. Oh right? yeah. Uh, oh well, sorry, Ben. I I said black hall studios. Oh, oh which, yeah, sorry, black hall. Yes, is Shadow doing black box, box funding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you're right. That's a that's a good call. There are also things like uh, what is it, Rourke Capital. Uh, which is a private equity firm here in Atlanta. You know, guys, I'm starting to think that we're going to be pulled over more often for this one. (laughs) Us in particular? Yes. I just just figured with a giant, you know, police training facility nearby, we just start getting pulled over more in general, Um, which I think is, is maybe part of the argument. You know, the idea that, like, you know, on paper, this thing shouldn't necessarily be a, like, home base for militarized police. But the very existence of it just implies a higher concentration of police that in a way that some people don't trust. Understandably so. All right, this is maybe a hot take, but anybody who's experienced it can agree. What is the typical neighborhood like around a U.S. military base in the domestic in the uh, conti- contiguous United States? Impoverished ish. It's they're not the nicest places often, um, and that that is another function of. NIMBY. That's another function. That's what people are worried about, right? Will this make our neighborhood worse? Whatever the intentions, Uh, because, you know, people will still live there unless they are driven out and unless they are, you know, eminent domained out to out to some other part of the area. Whatever you want to call this training center or cop city, uh, the critics are saying that this is, to your earlier point, This is a blueprint for future iterations of militarization. The militarization of the police is a known ongoing issue in the United States, and it has provably resulted in rising socioeconomic inequality, intergenerational trauma, and perhaps most importantly, the erosion of democracy. And the whole reason that you hang out in the U.S. at all is because you thought democracy was dope, right? If that's the whole reason you choose to stay if you have the opportunity to leave. Well, the militarization of police has been uh, one of those sli- actual slippery slope things actual one, yeah, <laughs> that have been occurring since uh, police forces were outgunned. I think it was in the late '80s, early '90s, when there were several major instances of police being outgunned by uh, like bank robbers in a couple instances and a couple other. Uh, instances organized where, crime. Yeah, yeah where, where where there were heavy weapons being used against police officers that generally had revolvers and shotguns, and that's all they had. 
then, you know, started going into bigger weaponry that they carried and then went into other forms of uh, not, uh, I was going to say toys. We were just talking about on strange news. The, what, what was that fighter jet? We called it like a toy, a military toy. War toy. Yeah. But like police officers gaining access to those things it, under the, uh, the banner of we're going to keep you safer by making sure our police have the, the tools they need. And that's valid. I, I agree with you that that is absolutely valid because otherwise you're looking at a situation where the legitimacy of rule of law could be compromised. Yeah. Right now, now you're in an Escobar situation, you know, so, so you almost need it to some extent. Well, it's a microcosm of like military spending. You know, we got to keep the, the the wolves at, at bay. You know, we've got to keep the bad guys that want to ruin our democracy, challenge our democracy. We got to outgun them. So that's why you know war spending just gets the green light every time. Because- it's easy to say yes to, mm-hmm. mm. right? Yeah, and the the other the other aspect of this is that. When opponents are arguing these facilities amount to a war base functionally, right? And they're saying the police will be learning things that are less public safety and more sort of active operation abroad type stuff. Uh, When they talk about that, they're talking about explosive or demolition testing sites, like, like we pointed out earlier, very fancy objectively very cool shooting ranges, helicopter pads designed for military aircraft. And and where does it stop? In pursuit of preventing the collapse of a state, could you create the collapse of a state in practice, right? That's a question that is very easy to ignore if you are going to make millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars off off creating this thing. And and so the local the local folks organized. I don't want to sound too Pixar or too like Captain Planet about it. Or what was that one thing? There's so many forest people banding against bad folks things. Avatar. Avatar. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Fern yeah. Gully, the last race. Fern Gully. Yeah, 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 yeah. Princess Mononoke, et cetera. Your, yeah. your mileage may vary, but there's a reason those things are tropes. You know, these the these folks are not sent by Russia to protest, although Russia um when Russia was doing better with their foreign disinfo, they were not adverse to putting a hand on any social movement. These folks are local people fighting to save their neighborhoods, like your bubby, your grandma, whatever. Uh, there are activists who did travel from outside of Georgia, that is true, uh, who believe that this is a dangerous precedent either for further militarization or for further ecological damage. And they leveraged the system or are attempting to. The the Constitution of the state of Georgia says that residents can force the decision on local governments if 15% of registered voters sign a petition. And I think we've all seen the petition by now, right? Oh, yeah. Well, and, and it got a ton of signatures, didn't it? 
Well, originally you had to be a resident of Fulton County uh, to sign the petition. So I was approached and I very much wanted to sign it. And I'm a resident of DeKalb County. And they said I couldn't sign it. But then that changed. Um, There was an order from a judge, I believe, that allowed that opened it up to anybody in the community, which I think is totally fair. I mean, I, you know, DeKalb County is just a hop, skip and a jump away from all this stuff. It's all pretty centralized. Um, And yes, they got to my understanding, the appropriate number of signatures needed to force a ballot measure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it is a crazy wackadoo idea to allow the people who live in a place to vote on what happens in that place. And but their, you, their you, money that's using their money. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, You're paying for it. Even if you just buy a sandwich in the airport. Congratulations. Uh, you're part of a, a larger effort. Uh, and you're absolutely right, guys. The protester networks, uh, the Stop Cop City movement has obtained more than 116,000 petition signatures that legally forces the city government to allow people to vote on what happens in their city. And that's supposed to be how democracy works. In fact, a great many people died to make that the case. And yet, and yet, as we record this evening, the letter of the law does not seem to manifest in practice. Just two weeks ago, AP News reported that Atlanta officials are saying they're legally barred from even beginning to verify the forms. And they said the organizers missed this deadline from August 21st. The deadline had been extended until September by a federal judge, but then an appellate court came in and they were like, hold the phone, scratch the record. And now this whole thing, this whole petition process is in a legal limbo which is nuts because this is one of the biggest, ostensibly, this is one of the biggest grassroots movements in the history of the state of Georgia. And if you hear the supporters, they're saying, look, we're not here to overthrow the United States. We're not terrorists. We want to defend this city. We want to keep this forest around and we want to stick up for these neighborhoods. And they also, the people who support Uh, This training center, Cop City, they allege the protesters are part of a conspiracy. The protesters allege that the powers that be are part of a conspiracy. Well, I mean, when I was approached to sign the petition, and I'm sure you all may have been as well and had similar experience, they're so buttoned up. Like, it's got to be blue ink. It's got to be this. You got to make sure they're they're looking behind you to make sure you tick all the right boxes, your address is right. And that's because... Situations like this and systems like this are the, the the red tape is outrageous, and and these protesters or these um, activists they achieved it. They they followed the rules. They did it right, and still somehow this bullshit comes down that to just like you know stymie the whole thing, um, just like the 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 public comment was ignored. And this is even worse because it seems like they found it's very smartly. Not a loophole, an actual part of the law that's designed to do this very thing. And Mm -hmm. somehow they were still had the rug pulled out from under them. I I don't get it. I mean, I do get it. It's it's because people influence people and and you're going to have another lawyer or somebody that's employed by one of these entities, perhaps these these corporate entities 
pushing and and figuring out the real loophole to get rid of this whole process because it's un- it's inconvenient to say the least. What what I don't get is how can the people who want to build this facility how are or what is the mechanism of conspiracy that they're leveraging against detractors and people who don't want it? Like yeah, the the heavy implication is that there are foreign actors uh, called everything but domestic terrorists who are attempting to subvert the rule of law and sow chaos, exploiting a vulnerability exposed uh, during during the co- the protest of the pandemic. However, that logic doesn't quite carry the water uh, because if you look at quote-unquote conspiratorial actions, you need to look no further than, of course, RICO law. Uh, Earlier this year, there was unprecedented retaliation. On the 29th of August uh, this year, Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr indicted 61 protesters on racketeering charges. RICO law, if you're not familiar, is, (laughs) we talked about it, a little bit because a, a former president is getting in trouble with this one too. Uh, the RICO law is meant for organized crime. It's meant to further punish and penalize people who participate in things like running guns, human trafficking, uh, uh, cocaine or heroin, opiums, that opiums. Mm-hmm. God, I sound old. Look at the <laughs> internets over here. Well, it, it, I mean, yeah, it, this is a gross misuse. I mean, I think it's clear what you're talking about and what this is. These people are making Instagram posts. They're like running Twitter campaigns. Like it is a. Yeah, yeah but what's being alleged that they're doing are we have to keep an open mind here because I know we know in some of the instances of protests, there have been there have been stuff like a couple one or two little peppered things that may have been a little violent, right? A little bit, a tiny bit. I think we can oh, admit absolutely. that. I mean, more than a little bit, a tiny bit. Okay, like it, I, we're talking Molotovs. Yeah. Yes, because there were actually Molotovs. But when you're charging 61 people with, you know, possessing the accelerant to build Molotovs to then be used as weapons, basically against police officers <gasps> or getting Venmoed for uh, going in on food. For your crew, yeah. you know, that's if that's, how, how if that's you, Rico law, then you're guilty too, bro. <laughs> you know how can I mean? you have both of those things? You know, yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, it doesn't, I don't know. Mm. This person paid for some glue for a protest side. We're in a V for vendetta situation. Burn it down. That's like, okay. Current governor, Brian Kemp, uh, you know, him. you know, him. Uh, is described as described the accused in this RICO case as quote out of state radicals. Got a bunch right. of agitators on our hands. Mm-hmm. You know? As he sips his julep in his linen suit. I can't talk trash on linen suits. I love them. But uh, but right now we are not sure how things will proceed. It is here in the city. It is abundantly clear that there are a lot of problems. Okay, and it's a beautiful city but it is not by any means a perfect city. And the city itself, at least according to the petitions, according to things you will hear if you talk to the average person, the city itself doesn't really want this thing built, at least not the way it's proceeding. 
Yet the city's power structure has already decided this will occur. It is a foregone conclusion. Both sides say the other is conspiring. It will continue to escalate. And, you know, an ugly truth is better than a beautiful lie. To be honest, your average cop, your average police is not staying awake at night going, oh, gosh, I can't wait to go to like the new school of Americas. They're people just like you. They are often in dangerous situations and they, just like you, do not want to die. So anything that can help prevent that is a net positive. And then, you know, again, like I'm soapboxing here, guys, I know we're running long, but the U.S., the whole experiment is founded on this idea that people can decide what they do or do not like. And I would argue that I think we'd all argue that to ignore that principle is to delegitimize the entire foundation upon which this experiment rests, you know? Well, and we haven't talked much about like uh, abolitionist movements um, in terms of like defunding the police and calls for stuff like that in the wake of a lot of these, you know, horrific incidents involving police killing civilians. But I'm, I don't fully understand what the alternative is. There is part of me that says, Let's be more transparent about the training. Let's learn from these mistakes. Let's train the right people to do the job correctly so they don't kill people. But I think folks on the other side of that are saying it's not possible. These people are inherently targeting these underserved communities and populations, and there's no amount of training that will ever change that. I think that might be too extreme on one side of the pendulum and then obviously the folks on the other side that want to build this and think it's the only way to do it. I think there's... You know, this is not quite right there either. I don't know the answer. You know, I don't have the solution, but it certainly seems like there's definitely something going on in terms of why this is happening, where it's happening, who's involved and why they just seem just absolutely disinterested in what the community thinks about it. Those Q4 numbers are going to be dope, though, if that goes through for those folks. Yeah. I, this is, I mean, this is the question, right? And I, I think that's a great way for us to wrap this. The dilemma here, various powerful entities will can attempt to convince you that the statements of the public do not matter or that the public is uninformed. While the latter is arguably true in many cases, the former is false. The public does deserve a voice and to argue otherwise is to be purposefully malevolent to be purposely deceptive and it goes against the united states if the people of a place do not want a kind a training center like this if they don't want a cop city if they want a nimby then you know it's a country where you can nimby right <laughs> the but the powerful people do want it and then the question becomes why you know i well it becomes what uh, how does a democracy actually function (laughs) does it matter that those who live in the place who also vote don't want a thing or do the the people who represent those folks do they get what they want well and and the last little thing i just wanted to add is is the, the the truly conspiratorial side of this and i don't i'm not saying there's any sand to this but it's 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 a place that the mind could go is that these corporations are training soldiers to defend their interests and their interests alone this is extreme militarization of the police and they will be under the thumb 
of these corporate entities to some degree could be mobilized to occupy communities to create, you know, martial law. I mean, I, I think I, I don't think I'm wrong in thinking that some people are going that far with their concerns about this type of thing. Sure. The evolution of corptocracy, corporatocracy, or whatever you want to call it, right? Oligarchy. <laughs> and, uh, oligarchy by any other name. Neo-feudalism would be the uncomfortable uh, armored elephant in that room. I, I Just before we end, I want to reiterate, this is important for this to be the final word. The ideology is being weaponized against people in an us versus them situation. That is misleading. The United States is founded in theory on the concept of people deciding what they do or do not like and to agree with, to aid and abet anything in contradiction of that fundamental principle is to delegitimize the bedrock upon which this place is supposed to be built. It's something to think about. Uh, it's We would love to hear your opinions. You know, as we said, we do not have the answers. Uh, we do see some suspicious shenanigans <laughs> at play. Uh, but what, what should the solution be? What is, uh, to your point, Noel, what is the spectrum here? To your point, Matt, what is the... Uh, what is the motivation? What it, What is the end result for the people who live with the long tail consequences of this? We try to be easy to find online. We do. You can find us all over the internet at the handle conspiracy stuff where we exist on, uh, I'm just going to call it the X platform because it just sounds dorky, but it still exists and hasn't shut down yet, but give it time. Um, we are also conspiracy stuff on Facebook and YouTube on Instagram and TikTok. We are conspiracy stuff show. If you like to make phone calls, you can call us. Our number is one eight three three S T D W Y T K. It's a voicemail system. You get three minutes, say whatever you'd like. Just let us know if we can use your voice and message on the air. If you've got more to say than can fit in one of those three-minute voicemails, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We read everything we get. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.